Hello, can everyone hear me? Is that better? Wow, I yeah, hope you guys are awake, because you are now. I know I am. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, my prayer is that everyone here leaves lifted up and ready to spread God's word to the world. It is really such a blessing to be able to be here with you guys and to worship with you guys. We're going to start our series in Colossians, our sermon series in Colossians. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. I can't help but read what Paul says here as a greeting in Colossians 1.1, and, and think about us when Paul writes, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father. That is an encouraging opening. And as faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, my question to you this morning is, what do you think of when you think of Jesus? What were you thinking of when you, know, when you were taking the Lord's Supper? If someone asks you, comes up to you and asks, who is Jesus, what would you say? How would you describe to them Jesus? We might pull out common phrases like our Savior, Anointed One, God's Son, Prince of Peace. And these are all very true, but they should mean something to us. We don't want to just pull phrases out of the Bible without any meaning. Sometimes we can get caught up in ourselves and our own lives that Jesus just ends up becoming this mystery to us. Paul describes God, Jesus, his Savior, whom he met on the road to Damascus in this way in Colossians 1, 15 through 20. If you have your Bibles, Colossians 1, 15 through 20, a powerful image here as Paul describes Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is who Christ should be to us. This is that wow factor we should be feeling when we're thinking of Christ. I wanted us to read this passage at the beginning because I wanted our minds centered on Christ as we enter into this theme of Colossians and Philemon. When we observe life and this world, we have a tendency to view the complex in a very simple way because it comforts us and it makes us feel a little better. Jesus is simply our Savior. But then we read passages like that and we realize very quickly how complex he is. Another example is, look at a tree. That's a very complex living organism, and yet we just call the tree simply a tree. But when we zoom up close, we see how complex it really is. And that is our mission in this sermon series, to zoom in and look at the complexities of what we just call simply the Christian life. I was very intrigued by Caleb in his sermon series on Philippians when he went through, and he did a great job going through the book of Philippians, and he had some great graphics going through the backstory of Philippi and had some ruins, and so I was really excited to do the same thing. This is Colossians. I'll look up Colossae, where the Colossians are from, and I was really excited. This is what I found. This grassy hill here. Yeah, real, real bummer, but apparently it is of such little historical significance that no one has sought to excavate it but there is still hope turn your bibles over to chapter 2 and look at verse 1 
chapter 2, we get a glimpse of this neighboring city that has been excavated, in fact. And Paul says this in verse 1, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea. That's the neighboring city. And for all who have not seen me face to face. Laodicea was a neighboring town uh, next to these other cities here that created this triad of cities. Colossae, Heropolis, and Laodicea. Laodicea. And Ephesus is the capital of this region at the time. It's modern-day Turkey, uh, Asia Minor. And here's some... Here's some ruins of Laodicea for you. But this letter isn't just written to the Colossians in mind. While they are the main focus, it's also written to the Christians in Laodicea. The Christians in this time are pretty close. And we get that feeling from Paul when he encourages these churches in separate cities, mind you, to do what? In Colossians 2.2, be knit together in love. Excuse me. Look at that. That their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. Laodicea was very similar to another town in West Texas, I found. Shallow water, if any of you are from there, because it has a water problem. It had plumbing, so it was very wealthy, but it caused a lot of corrosion, and that water was not very fun to drink. And then its source made that temperature kind of lukewarm. And so we get the church being referred to as lukewarm in Revelation 3.15, when God says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth, not tasting very good. When God says this, though, he's, it's possible he's also saying this to some of the Christians in Colossae. Revelation was written in about 90 AD, and Paul is writing this letter to the Colossians at about 60-62 AD. And historically, we know of an earthquake that comes and destroys all three of those cities we saw at around 62-63 AD. And only Laodicea is really able to build itself up to its former glory because it was wealthy. God even affirms this in Revelation 3.17 when he says to that church there, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Because Colossae was never really able to rebuild itself up, it's very possible many of the members there moved to neighboring communities like Laodicea or even Ephesus. But you know, Notice how close those dates are between when they received the letter and that earthquake. I can't help but notice that God knows what they need. They need the message that is in the book of Colossians to encourage them in the trials that they may face in the future. We don't know what happened, but we know that can be applied to us today for sure. We need, as we go through those trials, to have our identity rooted in Christ. If we crack open Colossians, we read this message, this theme of being Christ-like. And that means having Jesus Christ as our identity and living out that identity in the Christian life. Colossians 1, we open up at the end of Colossians 1 with this idea of a mystery. What is this mystery, this mystery of Christ, this mystery of God? And so since our theme in this series is to be rooted in Christ or have our identity in Christ, we're going to start by solving this mystery and what this mystery means to us. I love how Paul in all of his writings relates to his audience. He gets to know them, how they feel, what they do, how they talk, and uses language to help them relate. The word mystery there was referred to back then as mystery cults. And these were cults of ancient pagan religions, the mystery of Dionysus, the mysteries of El- Eleusinia, a bunch of mysteries. 
The word mystery in Greek, though, is to close. Specifically talking about our eyes, our mouth, to keep what those religions really believed a secret until a person has gone through this initiation phase, and only then can they believe what this cult really is practicing. There's no transparency. Paul is using that same language to refer to Christ, but he's applying it in a different way, saying Christ can be like a mystery, that it's closed off from the world because he's pure. And in fact, it was a divine mystery according to Ephesians 1.9. But the goal and the intent of this mystery of Christ is to be shared throughout the world and experienced by his saints. Keep your marker in Colossians and turn over to Ephesians 3. Ephesians chapter 3, and look with me at verses 2 through 6. Ephesians 3, Ephesians 3, 2 through 6. Paul's talking to Ephesians here, and he says this in verse 2. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which is not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. If we read the Old Testament, which is just the Old Testament, it's easy to read and view this Savior coming in to save God's people, and it's only the Jewish people, and that's it. Not the Gentiles and the Greeks of Colossae and Ephesus and all of us here today. To their perspective, we weren't in that picture. But God reveals to us through the apostles this mystery that we're all welcome, and we're all welcome to be members of his body there in verse 6. And if you look at our culture today, our society today, It really likes to put labels on things and labels on people. It's nice and neat, and it wants to divide people up in the little boxes of race, class, education, health, and so on. Social media doesn't help anything either when it encourages to join groups and cliques or when our, for our health, for example, dividing us up, whether or not we have or don't have a mental illness. There's nothing wrong with finding and connecting with people that have similar interests or common ideas until it becomes a part of our identity and who we are. Because nothing should replace Christ in our life. And yet the mystery goes even deeper. Turn back to Colossians 1. Colossians 1, and look with me at verses 24 through 29. Paul expounds further on this mystery in Colossians 1, 24 through 29, when he says, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone 
mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Even from this text, Paul makes it clear that the mystery is for all people when he says in verse 27, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches and the glory of this mystery. Clearly the message of Christ is meant to be proclaimed throughout the whole world. The mystery of Christ is not meant to be kept a secret. It's meant to be fully known. What does Paul say as a minister his job is? To make the word of God fully known in verse 25. However, however, it's only fully experienced and fully understood by the believer who's living a life of Christ. This is exactly what we read in that following verse in verse 26. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. What does that mystery reveal? Look at the end of verse 27. The riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is the deeper, the deeper meaning of this mystery of Christ, that Christ is in you. The mystery is Christ and the salvation that we receive through him. The closeness that we have with our Savior should be like, should be like shouldn't it be like any other relationship or faith out there? It should be something that is treasured and kept safe away from outside influence that tries to creep in and taint our relationship with Christ. Do we realize how important, how big of a deal that is? This is Jesus who we read about at the very beginning, being the firstborn of creation, the one that holds all things together, dwelling in us. The question is, what do we do with Christ in us? How does that make us different? How does that make us different? Because as humans, we're really attracted to personality types. We really are attracted to the charismatic personality. It has power when someone can come off as someone who makes us feel comfortable, relaxed, calm, at peace. It's not personalities that determine if Christ is in us. Someone can have the greatest personality and be the smoothest talker, and yet inside be rotting secretly. For example, if you look at a tree, what's the most important part of a tree? Well, it's its roots. It's its root system. A tree can look very pretty, but if it doesn't have a strong root system, it's only a matter of time before it topples over with that wind, especially in West Texas. It is gone. The thing about the root system, we can't see it. We don't know how strong it is. A tree's root system is a mystery to us because it's underground. All we can see is what it's producing, its leaves, how strong we can see from what, what is physically there. I'm sure scientists like AJ, he's not there here, but scientists like him can see how healthy a plant is. But my point is, God can see what's underground and truly know how healthy we are. David pleads to God, in Psalm 139, in verses 23 through 24, and says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in a way everlasting. You know who else can do that? Not to the same extent, but ourselves. And if we're being honest, we can determine and examine ourselves to see if we truly have Christ dwelling in us and we're spiritually healthy. If you think about what David is asking is asking God in Psalm 139, it takes a lot of confidence to say to God, try me, try me. I want to be on the right path, especially if we know that we're not right with him and our roots aren't as strong as they should be. 
Paul even encourages the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, telling them to examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Here, if you look back at that tree analogy, the wind tests the roots of that tree, does it not? Too often, you have a strong enough wind or a gust of wind, and that tree is gone. The wind acts as a resistance against that tree's growth from being strong, growing tall and straight. Resistance is what keeps us from growing as well. And we're constantly, constantly fighting against that resistance. Resistance can take on many different kinds of forms. Ourselves, temptation, distractions, people, events tragedies, anything that Satan can grab a hold of and use against us to destroy us. And yet Paul's writing this letter, and there's certain philosophies and certain ideas creeping into the church, capturing them, acting as a resistance against their growth. And Paul writes about this in Colossians 2.8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not, not according to Christ. Historically, we know that the earthquake is going to come. It's going to destroy their, their community, their home. We don't know what exactly happened. But we can only hope that they took this message to heart. We can only pray that we do the same. So what is acting as resistance in your own life? What's pushing against your faith? Are, are there... Maybe it's abstract things like fear, envy, pride. Maybe it's more physical things. School, work, your phone, the couch. It could be big things, small things, a combination of both. But resistance is really whatever is keeping Christ from dwelling in us and being a part of our identity. And so the question is, are we able to weather the storm? Because if we have our identity in Christ and Jesus is dwelling in us, then we will. I always remember when my parents gave me my first Bible and what my dad wrote there at the very beginning behind the cover. And it's a, it's a quote. Maybe you know it. Kudos to you if you do. I'll have to tell me if you do. But I'll never forget it. He says, Life is a storm, my young friend. You'll bask in the sunlight one moment, be shattered on the rocks the next. But what makes you a man is what you do when that storm comes. Then the world will know you as I know you. Does the world see Christ in us? If we can weather that storm that hits us, then people will see that and be aware of the mystery that is in our life, the mystery of Christ that is dwelling in us, because we're grounded in that mystery, and then we can proclaim it to the rest of the world. If we take a closer look as we close, look at Paul's words that really wrap up this thought in Colossians 2.6. Colossians 2.6 and 7 Therefore, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue living your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, and firm in your faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Notice what it says there, rooted in him. We have to ask, are we rooted in Christ? If there's anything I pray you take out of this lesson this morning, is that right there. Are we rooted in Christ? And this is just the first sermon of several, where we'll look at several aspects of a tree and our walk with Christ. 
But it's important that in our lives we make Christ a part of our identity and that he's dwelling in us. And it's going to be the case if we're rooted in him. And if that's true, then we can move on to what one of the goals God set before us through Paul in Colossians 1.28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. But before we can grow in that maturity, that before we can grow mature in Christ, we have to start somewhere. A tree starts as a little seed, you plant it in the ground, you water it, and then it grows, right? The mystery of Christ is not fully understood or experienced until we're baptized and we put him on. Paul says it best, I can't say it any better, when he says in Colossians 2.9, for in Christ the whole fullness of, de- of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful workings of God who raised him from the dead. Christ saved us from our sins, ourselves. Christ makes us a stronger tree, a stronger person in this life to battle the resistance that tries to take us over. And this morning, if you want a relationship in Christ and you want Christ dwelling in you, then now is the time to come forward and be baptized with the forgiveness of your sins.